diehard baseball fans used to know the earned run average, the one loss record or strikeout totals for their favorite pitcher, or the batting average or RBIs for their favorite hitter. But Sabermetrics has changed that. Now we have TV Sports Network hosts that discuss statistics like wins above replacement, or how a 300 hitter performs with runners in scoring position after the seventh inning. Sports fans probably know that professional football, hockey, and basketball use new analytical approaches to evaluate their players, too. Why don't we hear more about that in those sports broadcasts? I'm Bob Long. We welcome you to Stats and Stories, a program where we look at the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. Our topic today is the importance of statistical analytics in sports today, and our guest is a director of analytics for an NFL team. To prepare us for today's discussion, Stats and Stories reporter Max McCauley spoke with statistician and author Jim Albert, a former guest on Stats and Stories, about some of the new trends in sports statistics. The information revolution is changing the way the world works, and experts of all trades are reforming their operations to adapt to the new emphasis on data collection and analytics. One group leading the charge is the network of professionals responsible for measuring sports statistics. Jim Albert is an author and professor at Bowling Green State University and an expert on baseball statistics. Albert says watching baseball with an eye on the stats allows him to appreciate the sport and its players on more complex levels. I enjoy baseball like anybody else, but by looking more carefully at statistical things, to me, I can enjoy it more because I understand a little more of what's happening. Like, for example, pitching to me is very interesting because it's all about location and choice of pitches, and there's a lot of decision-making going on, both by the pitcher and the batter. And when you watch a baseball game, you're thinking about those decisions that are being made all the time. As a professor, Albert builds his statistics class curriculum around concepts primarily used to analyze the game of baseball. He says a lot of those measures are really universally applicable. For example, there's this idea called regression to the mean that extreme performances will eventually come back to the average. You see that in baseball. Like Right now you see extreme performances hitting home runs, and that's exciting, but what you should understand is that that's not going to continue, that basically the performance the next month is going to go back to the average. You just can't extrapolate that short-term performance for the whole season. Albert says baseball is more obvious to measure than other major sports because of its stop-and-go game style. Baseball has a longer history in terms of using statistics. And also, I think baseball being a discrete type of thing where an event is a pitch, while in football, it's a continuous thing that's very different. So it's a little harder to stop it you know, at certain times and see what's going on. While baseball has a very clear structure, it makes it easier to model. Baseball leads the world of sports analytics by focusing on measures related directly to what brings a team more runs, and thereby more wins. The neat thing about baseball is everything can be expressed in terms of runs and eventually wins. So everything a baseball player does on the field has some influence over runs scored or runs allowed, which gives you an idea how valuable a player is. Now, that idea should be available also for other sports. It's just going to take us longer to find that. Albert believes what really make a difference are stats that prove a player's value on both sides of the ball. Steph Curry is a great offensive player, but the question is, does he give up things by his defense? I don't know, but the point is that you're only looking at one dimension of his performance. Obviously, he's such a great offensive player that I can't imagine that his defense would offset that. But the point is, you have to look at the complete player, and there's more in just the shooting. There's the defense. There's the movement, the ability to go on a fast break. You want to somehow combine all those skills into one measure. 
Albert recently attended a data analytics conference held by the Society for American Baseball Research. At the conference, stats experts revealed a new wave of specified measurement technologies. This new kind of data being introduced in baseball called StatCast, which what they do is they put some sort of a marker on every single player, so now they're recording locations of all the movements of all the players in the field. Albert says the markers will allow statisticians to measure virtually every move each player makes and how they make it. So, for example, if a player makes a great fielding play, well, we can actually look to see how fast he moved to that ball or how far he went. Now we can talk about how fast a runner is getting to first base, or we can talk about stealing, about how big the lead was. That's all being measured now. Some people are weary about statistical emphasis and say it's just a phase, but Albert argues these methods are here for good. Some players now even have special coaches who focus on statistics, and I think pitchers have to be very, very aware of their tendencies in terms of pitch location and types of pitches, and all the batters know things about the pitchers. And like batters, we know a lot more about their tendencies, about hitting into certain fields in certain directions, and you can tell that by all the shifting going on in baseball. So I think that's going to continue with the game. It's always going to be a big part of the game. With Stats and Stories, this is Max McCauley. Joining me for Stats and Stories today are our regular panelists, Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor and Media Journalism and Film Chair Richard Campbell. And our special guest is the Director of Analytics for the Miami Dolphins, Dennis Locke. He supports football operations through research and statistical analysis. He's also finishing a Ph.D. in statistics from Iowa State University, where he also has worked as a consultant for the Iowa State Cyclones men's basketball team. Welcome to our show, Dennis. Thank you very much. I don't know why, but for some reason I really like the Iowa State Cyclones. I'm not from Iowa or anything like that. But Glad to hear it. <laughs> I did want you to kind of start off because it seems like people who are sports fans they hear a lot, I think, about baseball statistics, but it seems like we don't hear as much, for example, about the NFL. If just wanted to get your feeling of why that why that probably is. So, yeah, I think we're a little behind baseball. I mean, there's the the idea it's much easier to do statistical analyses within baseball, so it got momentum much sooner, and you saw you saw teams utilizing it quite a long time ago. And it tends to be the media tends to be a little behind what the teams are actually doing. So baseball was well above and really rolling with it for a long time and then Moneyball came out and suddenly the media f- realized that all this stuff was happening more and more and more. So I think right now we're kind of at the point back before Moneyball came out where maybe the media doesn't really know what's happening but we're starting to catch up to the level that baseball is at and getting there. Yeah, because some of those things like wins above replacement that are familiar terms now in baseball, I know similar things, and, and we'll talk about some of the things you work with, they're there in football, but people just aren't really, as you said, utilizing them yet. Right. Well, actually, the, the hard part is every team wants to keep their own information in-house. Uh-huh. So we're, it's intentional that the media hasn't heard wind of some of these things. <laughs> John Baylor, I'll go to you for the next question. Well, Dennis, it's great to have you on the program. It's, it's so good to, to have you visiting Oxford, and, and we're, it was really fun to listen to some of the work that you've been doing, and, and we talked a little bit about that in other contexts. One of the things that, that, that you mentioned in, in, your, in a presentation that you gave in, on campus was a quote that you said really resonated with you, which was that, that win probability is the holy grail of analytics. And I, I, I thought that it was, it was fun to think that there might be a holy grail of <laughs> analytics, and I'm, I'm I'm sort of picturing you on this quest. So can, can you tell us a little bit about your quest for this Holy Grail, and, and why is that the, the Holy Grail? So, yeah, I should mention first that, that I stole that quote yes. from uh, Brian Burke, <laughs> so I can't, can't take credit for that. But, I mean, the idea is— uh, You from, cited it properly. I did cite it. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get it cited properly here, too, though. So, 
Yeah, the idea is for better or for worse in sports, it all comes down to wins. Success is entirely measured by wins. So what you want, what you want to get is essentially the, the win probability is an idea of looking at wins and where are they coming from and how can we maximize the wins? What players can help us maximize the wins? What plays can help us maximize the wins? And you can't do any of that if you don't first have a good way of measuring the win probability values. So in order to get an idea and get a good estimate of wins, you need a good way of estimating the, the win probability at various moments throughout a game to really get an idea of where the impact is coming from. Richard Campbell. So I'm trying to imagine that uh, you're doing this work for the dolphins and uh, the dolphins are in a huddle and <laughs> it's like there's two minutes left in the game and there are two touchdowns and is the quarterback going to talk about your work on win probability and bring that up in the huddle. What's our win probability here? <laughs> two minutes left and, and we're two touchdowns behind. So part of this is to ask you how the Dolphins are using your work. So, yeah, I guess, no, it's more that I have the win probability in there, so I'm the one actually calling the plays down to the quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding, of course. Um, I obviously can't get into specific details about, about how they're utilizing the work entirely just because it's proprietary, right. but, I mean, it's, it's impactful towards everything that we're trying to do in terms of in-game decision-making, in terms of player evaluation, I mean, it comes into play in, in most of what we're trying to accomplish there as a team and as an analytics department. John Baylor. You know, one, one thing that, that you mentioned in, in conversation that, that Richard might be interested in is uh, during the, the, the games, when a game's occurring, they're not allowed to have a computer. They're, you know, so if they're, they're, you know, if you had any, if they had any kind of impact on this, it would have to be hard copy of some analysis that you could reference, so that there's not, not a simulation component to that. Which I, th I thought that was really interesting that that computers were banned, in that, and that's a, a league policy, I assume. Yeah, it really limits the impact a computer nerd like myself can can have. <laughs> Because if you can't have a computer in there, you have to essentially have everything prepared ahead of time and, and ready to roll. Is, is what you do, I mean, is, I know you can't talk about p proprietary stuff, but is it similar in terms of what, you know, Moneyball taught us about the way of going out and finding certain players who were good at certain in certain situations that would lead to more wins if those players were in the game at a particular time? That's very similar, yeah. Unfortunately, in the, the Moneyball movie, I would be the Jonah Hill character, not the uh, Brad Pitt character. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's the idea is, yeah, so where can we, like, how can we essentially get a unique way to look at these players that nobody else is doing that can give us that competitive advantage and that extra little bit that we need to go just a little extra farther. I know we talked about the fact that baseball is a little bit ahead of everybody else right now. From from one sport to another, though, I'm thinking win probabilities probably, they're not all the same. Things would be different, like, for example, in the NBA and the NHL, than what they are with what you're dealing with, with in, in football. Is that correct? It is, yeah. Actually, something that I'm trying to work on right now is a win probability method that's applicable to any head-to-head -head based competition. Oh, is that right? So okay. you can utilize it across, you know, football or basketball, hockey, soccer, baseball, I mean, you name it. That's, that's the, the end goal is to get it. I mean, the problem with win probability estimation is everyone does it in a different way. And so you get different errors coming and going. Whereas if we're all doing it in a consistent way, 
then we'll all know the errors. There'll be errors, but we'll be on a level playing field and understand what those errors are. You're listening to Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. And our topic today is the science of using analytics in both professional and college sports. I'm Bob Long along with our regular panelists, Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor and Media Journalism and Film Chair Richard Campbell. And our special guest is the Director of Analytics for the Miami Dolphins football team, Dennis Locke. He supports football operations through research and statistical analysis. I'll go back to John Baylor uh, for the next question. Now, with, when you think about anal, about sports and you think about analytics as applied to sports, do you think there's, there's a taxonomy of game types you know that there's there's baseball versus soccer ver, or hockey versus uh, you know some kind of competitive diving or you know so we, as you think about this what what do you think are some of the what is the taxonomy as you think about sports and analytics as applied to it and then what are some of the challenges that 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 is intrinsic in having those differences yeah so yeah so the challenges essentially With a sport like baseball, you know, you have your set plays, set outcomes, things that are going to happen. Whereas a sport like soccer or hockey, it's really a flow sport where there's no set play at all. I mean, soccer, you really have no set plays except maybe a throw and corner kick, that kind of thing. But so it's flowing the whole time. So the data that you're getting is completely different for a soccer match than it is for a baseball game or a football game or a hockey game or getting more extreme into diving, swimming, golf. You know, you get situations where... It's not a head-to-head situation. There's a whole field of people that could win, and it creates a whole new slew of problems and challenges that you need to overcome. Richard Campbell. I was watching the uh, the uh, Blackhawks-Red Wings hockey game last night, and there was discussion. I remember the uh, Blackhawks were up one to nothing at the end of one period, and the announcers started reading off numbers. And it was something like the Red Wings are 4-12 and 12 when they're behind by one goal after the first period. And the Blackhawks are 21-1. and one. I think that's actually pretty close to the truth <laughs> when they're ahead after the first period. And I'm wondering, um, I mean, they're just stating sort of factual information. This is actually true of this year. But what would you do with information like that? And I always wonder what am I what am I supposed to do? I'm a Red Wing fan, so I was depressed for the rest of the game of because they it was already over win, and they lost five to one. So, so yeah. So I guess that fact would be less interesting as to why that might be. So you need mm-hmm. to know that fact initially in order to get the why that might be. Right. But I guess the the difference between media analytics is media analytics only cares about those little interesting facts and tidbits. Whereas the type of analytics you're doing for the team, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's what starts. What Then you look into why is that. And so you want to get into why that's happening. So if you're the Blackhawks, you don't change anything. If you're the Red Wings, you've got to figure out, are we having trouble getting adjustments when we're behind? Are there various reasons that we could be doing this? And so you want to use that fact to figure out how you can improve and not essentially change that statistic. Okay. Thank you. I think that's a good point as far as the – the media statistics that we hear, I mentioned at the start, you know, like I, I hear all the time, well, this guy, you know, he's a 300 hitter, but he's only batting 230 with runners in scoring position after the seventh inning or something like that. So, I mean, those are facts that, you know, obviously they have statistics to back that up. But what you're saying is that at a, at a different level, you know, people like you are, who are helping the whole franchise understand what what they need to do, 
that's a that's a whole different ball game from what people are hearing on on TV, radio, those kind of of things. Yeah, the stuff we're hearing out there on TV and radio, that's really the surface level things. Whereas what we're doing actually within the team organization is we're trying to get much, much deeper in terms of I think it really is the the why is the next level is within the team we don't we don't care so much about what the statistic is, we care about why the statistic is what it is and how can we change it. John Baylor. I, you know, I want to follow up just on, on that idea that some of the things that are being reported are uh, often feel to me as really dangerous extrapolations. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I agree with that. Because, you know, like, so, like the, the case that Bob just described, you know, I, I want to say, well, how many times did that happen? Yeah, right. How often did you see that? Was mm-hmm. this over the course of a career? I mean, and, right. and you know right. that there's trajectories of player performance over careers. What's the relevance of some of this early information for mm-hmm. projecting later career performance if you're looking at at an individual player. What do you think about extrapolation issues when you think about a- applications and analytics in, in sports? Yeah, it can get real dangerous, especially with the the media tends to take it real far sometimes. Like you'll get the, he's batting, you know, 600 on his birthday and, you know, against lefties and they'll, they'll just go real far with it where it's like, that's that's not helping at all. You know, it's sure, it's, maybe it's interesting. He's just great on his birthday. But what is that actually telling us about the player? Probably not very much. Yeah, I think a great point you make, uh, I think you were kind of alluding to, let's say some guy has faced a pitcher 10 times and he's one for 10. That's a little different from the guy who's faced the same pitcher 150 times right? In, 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 over his career. And you get a much better feel for how he performs over 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 time, not just this particular season. Right. But the the media wants what looks flashy. Yeah. And often what looks flashy <laughs> is going to have that small sample size. A small sample size, right, right. So uh, one of the things that uh, roles I play on this show uh, uh, serves an obligation that I think we have to our journalism students here and, and the way that they tell stories that, that have data and statistics in them. And I thought it might be helpful if you talked a little bit about errors, mistakes, things that you notice, particularly when statistics are, are used by sports reporters or maybe when you're, you've been interviewed by, uh, by journalists to talk about what it is you do. Yeah, I think I have a good one. It's my, my personal pet peeve, and you see it a lot, is when they compare analytics to traditional scouting as if they are two competing entities where you have analytics on one side uh-huh. and traditional scouting on the other. When in reality, the only purpose of analytics is to support and try to enhance what's traditionally being done. Because, I mean, let's be honest, if it's analytics against traditional scouting, I don't have a chance. Traditional scouting is always going to win. So it's really analytics isn't a competing and different entity. Analytics is just an enhancement of what's traditionally already being done. Do you think that's partly because of the movie Moneyball, where it's sort of where you are often these two competing sides you know, feed a narrative that, that's more dramatic. Right. The story is a lot better if it's the <laughs> analytics guys against, you know, the traditional scout that's judging prospects by the attractiveness of their girlfriend, I think was the example <laughs> they used. John Baylor. But, you know, you, you're talking about scouting, which is, you know, and, and the work of analytics is being complementary to, to what a traditional scout would do. And I think that's a neat, neat way of conce- con- considering this. But 
it's much broader as I as I get a sense of what you're doing in terms of the responsibilities of someone that's that's working in analytics or someone who's applying analytic tools in a sporting context. There's there's issue of not just selecting the players for the team, but evaluating current player performance or thinking about players returning to fitness and how to being involved in that or the during the during competitive play. What are the best choices and decisions in terms of that? You know, what what other opportunities are there in terms of having analytical contributions to team performance or player assessment? Right, so I guess I'll, I'll focus on football because that's where my experience lies. But essentially, in the National Football League, once the season has started, there's a very little player procurement process. You have the players, those are your guys, that's what you're going to be going with. So then you want to figure out how can we get the most out of these players. So we want to monitor as much as we can about what they're doing so we can get peak performance on Sunday and hopefully prevent injuries. So hopefully you get the two as one and the same where you're getting your guys the best out of them and keeping them healthy and out there on the field. And I think that the sports science and peak performance is the next major boom in sports analytics. You know, I saw something um, about chips that uh, NFL players are wearing like in their shoulder pads and that this is helping to determine things like speed, movement, and things like that. Is that something you're talking about? It's kind of the new wave, some of the new things that are going to help provide additional data uh, about players. Yes, yeah, so this is the, uh, they're calling it next-gen stats, where mm-hmm. during the game we have 10 times a second the XY coordinates of every single player and the ball. So we'll actually be tracking every single movement that these individuals are making. We already are, and they're hopefully releasing the data within a month or two now. Now, you mentioned health, which I think a lot of people forget about, that sometimes they look at a guy and they go, oh, he's having a bad year. Well, maybe what they don't know is <laughs> he's not 100%. Well, nobody in the NFL is ever 100% course, healthy. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, that that is something you have to look at. Um, you know, like if somebody's slowing down, they're not able to do what they did two or three years ago. That kind of information is critical for for the management folks to understand. I mean, the coaches to understand. Oh, it's very valuable. Yeah, from both uh, you're looking at your own players and looking at opposing players, there's a lot of value in that. And also the danger is when a guy's slowing down just a little bit, suddenly they're much more prone to injury because mm-hmm. they aren't moving the way they're normally moving, and you never know what that's going to do on the rest of their body. So if you can catch it when they start to slow down, that can be very valuable. Okay. So is this, this chip technology, is that something that's brand new? I mean, is that something that's just now? So they were testing it on teams in 2014, and every team had it for every game in 2015. And it'll be on there from this point on. And everyone has access to that data set? Everyone will have access to that data set. We haven't hasn't been released yet. The competition committee is reviewing it, I believe, this April, and then they'll decide when it comes to us. (laughs) From a a data guy, that's exciting. So you'd be getting this stuff on other teams then? So we'll have it for all games. Wow. All players, all games, (laughs) all situations. Wow. Powerful data set. How will that impact, like, in salary negotiations when you start – you, you can point to actual data, physical performance, and somebody is slowing down. And this is all going to be be available to everybody. Well, you're going to have not only an agent, you're going to have an analyst. <laughs> that's, that's right. With you. That's, that's, that's right. That's, so, that's, that's, that's coming. <laughs> some agencies have analysts now. Is that right? To help show how much their guy is worth, yeah. Oh. yeah. So it's kind of the analytics guys are competing just like the agent and the front office guys are competing. <laughs> Listening to Stats and Stories, and again, we're focusing this time on the importance of analytics in professional sports today. 
Again, I'm Bob Long. Our regular panelists are Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor and our Media Journalism and Film Chair Richard Campbell. And Dennis Locke is our special guest today. Dennis is the Director of Analytics for the Miami Dolphins and supports football operations through his research and statistical analysis. And I also mentioned he's working on a PhD in statistics from Iowa State University, which brings me to my next question. We're talking about the pro level. I'm assuming a lot of this stuff is working its way down into collegiate sports. Am I correct? Uh, You are. They're actually on a lot of college football teams and now using player tracking data on the practice field. So they're tracking their guys, every movement they make, using GPS data to know the exact distance they ran, every acceleration, deceleration impact to get a good idea of what's, what kind of toll is it taking on their guys. I wonder if John that, data, that data would be available then when, when drafts come about. I mean, I think that would be the kind of thing that a, right. a player – you know, I, I wonder about some of the, these combine data that, that gets generated within the sport that you work. You know, there's 40-yard times or long jumps. There's, there's sort of the standard performance things. It seems like all of that would be eclipsed if you had things that, that – you know, I, it's not clear what the, the validity is or the predictability is of something out in the abstract versus acceleration in the course of play or right. in the course of practice might may be much more interesting to you than whether or not this person runs a 40 and – Four point six nine two. Right. You know. Yeah, because I mean, some of the value of the forty, you can get the idea of how fast are they getting down there on a kickoff. But now we can literally see how fast yes, are they getting, getting down there on a kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really interesting because I, I think again, a lot of people don't understand how much data is is available in today's world. How does this apply though to coaches? Because you know, many of them aren't trained obviously, in statistics. And so how do they know how to use the data that people like you and your, and your staff are providing to them? So that's just as important in my job as the actual analyses that I'm doing, Right, is how can I translate them to explain them to somebody who's you know, probably never taken a statistics class in their lives and know football, not stats. How can I make stats sound like football and make it so we're all operating on the same page? And that's how you try to do it. It's uh, because the coaches obviously don't know. They're just, they know you're giving them the data. They know it's probably, they have a, a good feel for how accurate it is. They just, how, how to apply it, I guess, is the big question. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to ask the coaches to speak my language. <laughs> I'm learning how to speak their language. <laughs> well, yeah. that's, that's, I think being a, a good, effective statistical consultant or communicator is, requires that. Yeah, I mean, it's and, and in what, any field. The same thing for a journalist. I mean, if you. That's right. I mean, that's. That's what I say. That's what journalists are supposed to do. They try to translate the world for into sort of common sense so people can understand it. And sometimes they do a good job and sometimes not. Yep. And uh, Sometimes I do a good job and sometimes <laughs> I don't. <laughs> well, let's talk about because the NFL, and of course I know you can't talk about the Dolphins specifically, but the NFL draft, you know, with it coming up, how that uh, the kinds of information – the management, the general managers and the coaches are looking for from somebody like you as you try to analyze all the players that are out there and what the team's needs are and trying to, to figure out who do we go for in this particular situation. I mean, I consider myself a scout in my own right. It's just a different way of scouting, whereas the scouts go out there, they watch video on the guy, they talk to the guy, they get a feel for the guy. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just looking at the numbers on the guy and seeing what I can get just purely based on the numbers that we have there. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking because you mentioned earlier that the scouts, they have their own file of things based on what they've, they've actually witnessed 
or for, or from talking to somebody. But you're, it, like you said, it's not a competition thing. You're just giving them additional information that they may not have been able to to gain from from what they've watched. Exactly. Yeah. So, Richard Campbell. Let me switch directions a little bit here because uh, uh, Bob talked before about you finishing your PhD at Ohio State, and you come from Iowa a, State. Oh, Iowa State. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Yeah. Um, you talked. Uh, I know you come from a family of st- statisticians and mathematicians, and in my family, my kids ran as far away from me as they could. You know, in terms of what they were going to do in their profession and. How, how did that happen? What's that like? I mean, you have very prominent, uh, you have prominent parents, you've, you, you know, uh, how, how, did, how does that happen when it doesn't happen in, in yeah, other families? I think it kind of happened naturally. Like, I don't think we all went in initially planning to get our, our PhDs in statistics. And I'll say within my family now, there is a Dr. Locke, Dr. Locke, Dr. Locke, Dr. Locke, and Dennis Locke. (laughs) So I really got to finish up here. My wife also has a PhD in statistics, so yeah, a lot of pressure there. But I think, yeah, it just happened organically. It's what we all were good at, so we wanted to do what we were best at. And they say, if you want to be happy, you know, find something that you can be better than anyone else at and do it. So I think we all kind of went that way. I I should mention, too, I love the, the title of the textbook. Uh, I actually voted against that. Unlock, <laughs> unlocking the power of data. I, yeah. I thought it was too cute. Oh, yeah? <laughs> that's what, what was your preference? I don't think I gave an alternative option. It's oh, probably so that's, why that's I didn't succeed. That's the problem. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what, what struck me, it's, it's an intro book. It's, a, it's for a very basic level, and it's kind of like you seem to partly be mining this ground on helping people understand statistics at, at a basic level. You have to do that in your job. And I think the textbook also is about that kind of thing. So Yeah, I think working on the textbook had helped me a lot in the position that I'm currently in. And so did teaching an introductory class because I had to teach stuff that they don't understand to the students. And now I have to kind of do the same thing to coaches right. and, and scouts. And, and is there a particular thing that's a stumbling block that you find when, you run, when you're trying to explain something to somebody who, like me who hasn't had a statistics <laughs> course? Um, one of the challenges I didn't foresee is what kind of what the true meaning of a probability is. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea that if you say that the probability of something happens after it happened, there is no probability. It either happened or it didn't. But beforehand, that probability was still there and could still have been perfectly accurate. Even if I say the 10% chance something's going to happen, then it happens. That doesn't mean my 10% was wrong. It just means that it, it went the other way. There was a 10% chance. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge that I've found is the before and after of probability. I see. John Mailer. Well, I, I'm curious if, if you – we're going to have people listening to this show that are thinking, I might want to do this too. What a, this might be fun to be involved in sports analytics. If, if, if there was someone that was interested in being involved in doing this or in reporting sports with lots of quantitative components – What are some of the the courses that you would recommend or some of the experiences that you might suggest for someone to get into this? Yeah, so especially for specifically a student, I would recommend first computer science courses. And even more than that, I'd recommend taking advantage of the situation that you're currently in. Because in a university, you have all these teams that may be interested in getting, you know, some free labor, some someone to come in and kind of take a look at what they're doing from a completely different approach. So that's what I did at Iowa State with the basketball team was I just volunteered to help out doing some analyses for them, and it gave me huge experience, you know, working with these coaches. And then when I went to actually look at jobs, I could say, you know, I have this experience working with coaches, 
and it can be very beneficial. So it's something you can take advantage of. It's right here at the university, and it can lead to great dividends later on. I wondered, is, are, are there a lot of internship-type opportunities available uh, for, for people who think this is something they'd like, they'd like to do as a career? Uh, I think so. I think there's quite a few out there. I think, I mean, in my mind, the best route to do it is to do it with a collegiate team that you're currently right. there, because then you can do it and kind of make, even mix it in with your studies, which is what I did. Um, I think it's, if you do it with a pro team, we ask a lot of our interns. So, I mean, it, it, you're going to get really thrown under the bus, so to speak. You're going to be working, you know, 14, 15 hour days and not getting as much out of it as you probably would if you did it in a, in a collegiate atmosphere. John, I think we have time for one more question here today. What do you, what do you like best about what you do? Um, I like seeing my analyses impact the game on Sunday, seeing something that happens that came from something that I have been talking with the coaches about leading up to it. I think that's my favorite thing, to be actually at the game watching and see that might be impact that I'm having on an NFL football game. Dennis Locke is the Director of Analytics for the Miami Dolphins of the National Football League. And Dennis, we want to thank you very much for sharing your insights with us here thank today you. on Stats and Stories. And if you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, you can send us an email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. Be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we always talk about the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. <laughs>